Let's go and read chapter 17, beginning verse 20 through to the end of the chapter of Luke. I'll be reading out the New King James Version. I think I better hold this. It's not the right place for me to read. God's Word says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to to the disciples, The days will come. When you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone. Excuse me. from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Well, this morning we get into a very different genre of Scripture uh, category. Even though we are still in the Gospels, we are into a portion that uh, is very different than what has preceded. We've looked at some instruction regarding our walk and dealing with some of the issues of life here. But we have hinted at the idea that to walk circumspectly, to walk godly and uh, a manner worthy of our calling requires us to look beyond the immediate surroundings that we live in. That we need to have before us uh, a greater objective. That we need to have before us something that was uh, introduced by Christ in the parable of the unjust steward. That we have to start thinking of these things in this earth as temporary and start thinking about the permanent things of eternity. Then once we have that attitude in us, that it's going to change how we deal with things on this, in this world. Well, with that introduction, we really come now to a portion of teaching that is uh, 
prophetic in its nature and by that and really everything that is said by Christ has uh, uh, brings forth his role as prophet that is a speaking forth the kingdom of God a foretelling and forthtelling and so we've had a lot of forthtelling telling truth and proclaiming it but also we have some foretelling and now we get into this idea that we kind of reserve that word prophecy for um, specifically in our context we tend to say well there's preaching and there's prophesying and we distinguish those and in the scriptural times they did not um, preaching was prophesying prophesying was preaching uh, we've separated those into two different categories and so uh, and really just because uh, that's really a modern thing it really is that we've done that uh, because we have come to a conclusion that with the completion of scripture that uh, the idea of foretelling is uh, reserved now for Scripture. And so while we can read and understand and grasp that truth, we do not anticipate any further prophesying in terms of foretelling the future. Uh, but certainly in the days of Christ and the apostles, that was still very much a portion of their preaching ministry uh, and, and of their deck of the presentation of the Word of God, uh, the revelation. And so we have this revelatory nature now of Christ's teaching, not only of truth, but of the future. And we want to get into that. And this is not going to be the end of the discussion, as I said earlier. This is going to be picked up again in chapter 21, where Christ is going to go into it extensively. Of course, the other Gospels have it as well, to varying degrees, the most, the, 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 largest portion is probably Matthew 24, known as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Luke doesn't give us that information of the location, uh, doesn't really identify that in that manner, but uh, we have the similar material given in two different uh, contexts. And uh, we're going to look at both of them. Whether we do so back-to-back uh, -back or not, or whether we allow Luke to dictate to us the uh, order in which we are going to study things, which is where I'm leaning right now. Um, I just wanted you to be aware of that this is not really the uh, conclusion, but really the introduction to the full teaching of Christ in this area. Nor does it end with chapter 17. It's going to press into chapter 18. Um, and uh, the first eight verses, the first parable of chapter 18 is going to be directed towards this same area of teaching. Before we go into our text this morning, we need to go, Lord, in prayer as our custom. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us. We pray your spirit within us to be at work, to uh, move in what is said, to be in accordance with the word of truth, to move in our hearts to receive that truth, that we might humble ourselves to it, and then, Lord, um, to give us full opportunity to exercise our will to choose to believe it and obey it. And so, Lord, we pray certainly for you to guard this time, to work in this time, that we might respond properly during this time. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've already read Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. And you know the substance of the context here. We really have two different groups that Jesus is going to talk to with two very different messages. 
and it almost necessitates me to give you two messages. Uh, one is to the first group who asked the first question. And uh, whether we want to admit it or not, it's the question we usually ask. Uh, the reason we probably don't want to admit it in this case is because of the group that's asking it, and that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are going to ask a question, and Christ is going to give a very different answer to them than what he's going to tell his disciples. The disciples we know ask this question. We find it in Matthew 24, which is a pretty similar question. Uh, Jesus Christ anticipates it here in Luke, though, and really gets into uh, what we think of as being the real answer to this question. The question asked by the Pharisees is very straightforward. When will the kingdom of God come? When will it come? When is the kingdom of God going to come? And today, if you walk around in the, the world of prophetic literature, that overwhelmingly becomes the question that most often is asked is when. We want to know when. And that urge within man to know when has been so strong, it has introduced and led a lot of people into some, I believe, erroneous doctrines, certainly into erroneous predictions, and in the middle of that into some erroneous practices. And so we want to be guarded here a little bit, but we don't want to be so guarded that we never ask the question. Because if there was uh, invalidity to the question of when, then Christ would have never answered it. He would have just said, don't worry about it. Don't even think about it. Don't even ask. But he doesn't do that. He gives us a very detailed answer to this kind of questioning. But it needs to be a balanced answer. And Jesus Christ in that answer uh, moves our focus to, uh, or really moves the disciples' focus to another aspect of prophecy that we want to address. So the Pharisees asked the question, you're, you're, you've made some pretty powerful claims, you've had some pretty powerful teaching, now, can we ask you, uh, if you're the Messiah, the expectation is if the Messiah comes, he's going to bring in the kingdom. So when are you going to do your job? That's really the context of what they're asking. They're not asking the question, when are you going to bring in the kingdom of God as we would understand it? Of a future reign of Christ for a thousand years and then the heavenly realm. and the They're not asking for when is the end of the world, really. They're asking, are you going to establish, reestablish the nation of Israel in its kingdom setting uh, like the prophets foretold? And again, some skewed understanding of that. For their time, essentially, when are you going to get these Romans out of Jerusalem and out of the Holy Land? And when are you going to really establish something comparable to the Solomonic period? And the period of Solomon was when the borders of Israel were the farthest reaching. And that's what the idea that the that the rabbis and the and the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel really had in mind here. They weren't having in mind what we would have in mind as we talk about the kingdom of God or of heaven. And so the question is, is posed. Uh, when the kingdom of God would come. That's what they asked. And so he answers them. And he's going to answer them really in something that's very dissatisfying to us. But we want to remind you who he's talking to first. He's talking to a people who are rejecting him and his message. They are his enemies, not his people. 
And so to those who are rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting Him as the Son of God, and reject His message of salvation, this is God's answer to them. So when we confront the world with the realm of prophecy, this is the, the extent of our message. Our message is, should be just like Jesus Christ. The world is not going to get the rest. They're just not, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you're off your rocker. Why? Because in their mind, they have been trained to believe this statement. As things have always been, they will always be. Sound familiar? Non-catastrophism. There is no big beginning. There are no big earth-shattering events in the middle. And there will be nothing at the end. And there is no end. As things have always been, they will always be. And this is what the Bible warns us will be the attitude of people in the end times, which Christ is going to reflect here as well, and really through all time. Uh, And it's the denial that God is active, that God is engaging the world, that God has a beginning uh, to this world, a creation, and a conclusion to this world. And so here Christ is going to address those with some religious knowledge, certainly, but ultimately they are rejectors of Jesus and his message. And here's Christ's statement to them. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. You cannot see it, touch it, taste it. It will not show up on the nightly news. Nor will they say, see here or see there. The kingdom of God, the one that is that matters, the one that I have in mind, is very different than the one that you have in mind. For the unbeliever, for the one who is rejecting Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is an earthly empire. And Jesus Christ throws that idea out and says, no, You cannot experience the kingdom of God with your earthly senses. The kingdom of God that you need to be concerned about as an unbeliever is something that I can't point to and say, look at it, because something has to happen inside of you. The kingdom of God that you as an unbeliever need to be concerned about is the one that should occur within you. It should have come with respect to who you are and what's going on inside of you. While others say, see here, see there, and we have this instruction um, that uh, uh, it's not something that people are going to come over and say, here, look, here's the kingdom of God. You're not going to go to government class and and learn it. You're not going to uh, have any means of identifying. There isn't uh, property. There aren't borders. Um, It's something, a work of God that has to occur within you. Fundamentally, what he has just called the Pharisees to do is believe in me. Believe in Jesus Christ that the kingdom of God might be worked in you. That if that has not transpired... What is going to go on in the future of this world and the nations is fundamentally irrelevant to you. 
because you are under judgment now and your judgment will come to its conclusion then. So what you need to care for is not about the end of the age. And, and this is important. In our witnessing to people, um, I find a lot of Christians feel like, well, you know, prophecy is a great witness tool. Um, and I got to tell you, I, I just don't see how. I really don't. In fact, if anything, the history of it in Christendom has been to make a fool of us. And you can point to it historically and say, oh, they said so-and-so was the man of sin, so-and-so was the man of sin, and they said the world's going to end then and then and then and then and then. I still don't have any idea why anyone's a Seventh-day Adventist today. Mrs. White's prophecies um, didn't happen. That was the, one of the founding personalities, the most um, published woman in the history of the world, uh, Mrs. White. Started the Seventh-day Adventist. She had her prophetic utterances. She knew when the end of the world was coming. Hasn't happened. Didn't happen. Why are you still following those teachings? I don't know why. They have more faith than I do. But its idea is that prophecy as an as a evangelistic tool really fails. And here Christ gives us a great example. Someone wants to know when the age of the end of the world comes. Um, not your concern. Because right now, you're in deep trouble. Because if your world comes to an end right now, all you're going to have is judgment by God. So what is your concern isn't when is Jesus going to come, when is judgment going to come, what are, what are comprised of the seven trumpets and the seven bowl judgments and, and what is Armageddon and all that. None of that is of necessary concern to them. What we need to confront them with is the kingdom of God in their hearts that must be activated, that must be put there, that must be uh, uh, fulfilled. Then we can address some of the other issues. And so he calls them not to a kingdom of this earth, but to an eternal kingdom that can be achieved, that can be not achieved, as though we earned it, or did something to deserve, but that can be accomplished by God in our midst, right within us. And that is that we move our citizenship from any earthly citizenship, any earthly attachments to a single citizenship, which is a heavenly one. And we're not just citizens there, but of royal lineage there. We are talked about in Scripture in those terms. And so when I am confronted with this principle that I need to become a follower of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ is my Lord, my master, it means he is my king. The king of kings and Lord of lords becomes my personal king and Lord. That I've submitted and subjected myself to him and to his reign in my life. And when he rules me, there is the kingdom of God. This is the concern that we have for the unbelievers. That the kingdom of God occurs in them. That they would submit themselves to the King of kings and Lord of lords. That they might become subject of that kingdom in their heart. And so that I no longer define myself by um, a national flag 
which is that one. Um, I no longer define myself by an uh, ethnic group. I no longer define myself by a language group. I no longer define myself by an economic group, but rather I define myself by this kingdom, that I can go across all ethnicities, I can go across all economic barriers, I can go across all national boundaries, and I can walk up to someone who has the kingdom of God within them and call them my brother with total sincerity because they really are. Blood-related, not by human lineage, but by supernatural lineage, by the blood of Jesus Christ, in which we have all been cleansed. And so he confronts these and says, okay, you rejected me, you're rejecting my message, so for you, the answer to the question, when is the kingdom of God going to come? It could come right now if you would just trust in me. You could have the kingdom of God within you. It's not something to, to chase after. It's not some, uh, there's not a boundary line you've got to cross. There's, there's, it's about a work of God within us. And if you would be willing to receive it, you could be brought into the kingdom of God. And this is the message that needs to go out to the lost around us. Are they intrigued and interested in, in future aspects of prophecy? Of course, like anyone else. They have curiosity in that, and they're interested. Um, and, but you do realize that we are not the only voice out there when it comes to what the future holds that there are lots of other entities and groups out there that have or that claim the ability to know what's going to happen and how it's going to go down. And we don't want to put ourselves out there. It's just another option to choose from. I chose to visit a few of those sites, other sites, you know, those non-Christian uh, things. And, and they're talking about 2012, and we've heard about some of the uh, stuff going on about that and the Mayan calendar and things. Um, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, i got to tell you, what's really out there. Of, uh, and, and it's interesting to hear people's responses. Well, if nothing, you know, nothing happened um, on Y2K. If nothing happens 2012, I'm not going to listen to any prophecy ever again. And so people, I mean, not just one person, one person wrote it and about uh, 3,000 people liked it. You know, ding, 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 ding. You know, they're out there just saying, yeah, that's true, that's me. You know, this is the last shot that the prophecy grew is going to have, 2012, December 21st, whatever, something like that. Um, and if nothing happens then and, and we just roll over, I'm giving up on this doomsday future stuff. See, that's what it promotes. That's not our message to the world. Our message to the world is not to walk out there with a big billboard on your body saying the end is near. But rather to confront individuals saying your end is near. And you need the kingdom of God within you. For we're all like grass. Here today and gone tomorrow. And so when the end of the age our end of the world occurs, is not a priority message for the church to the world. Not at all. 
the priority message of the church to the world is you must become a member of the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ and his work on Calvary's cross and the power of his resurrection from the dead. That is our message to the world. And Jesus Christ gives us that to those who have, re- who have currently been rejecting him. You need to have the kingdom of God within you. Then you're very midst of who you are before you worry about what's going to happen among the nations. Now, I understand that this morning, at least in this room, uh, I know about the podcast, but at least in this room I'm dealing largely, uh, if not entirely, with people who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, which makes you fall into the second category of disciples, followers of Jesus. So if you today are a follower of Jesus, um, you've taken care of the first thing. The kingdom of God is in you. You are citizens of that realm. And now God has some further information for you. And that further information is to guide you in your living. It's to set for you an understanding of the end course that God has certainly planned out and is working in accomplishing and will come to fruition one day. And that is going to form the balance of this chapter and our message this morning. This is what he says to his disciples. The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, you will not see it. He's speaking to his disciples. And let, let's begin very clearly to, to set this course. Their interest was in their lifetime. Will we see it happen? Are you going to, you're, you're the Messiah. Your job is to establish the kingdom of heaven. They hadn't quite grasped fully the idea of the spiritual nature of that, um, that must precede the physical or that's going to come. And so they, they hadn't really grasped that concept fully, but they were following Jesus Christ. They were trusting what he was saying uh, to the degree of their understanding. And so he wants to address some of that. They're looking for a physical kingdom as well instead of the spiritual one. But there is a, a physicality to God's plan for this created order. And so he's going to talk about it. You're going to want to see it, and you're not going to see it. I don't know how much more clearly Christ could communicate that the disciples that he was talking to that day were not going to see it in their day. That, in fact, they would want to just see one of those days. And he says, you're not going to see it. Um, People are going to say, look here, look here, there. They're going to say it's coming, but don't get caught up in that. Because the fact is, is that they're not speaking the truth. When someone is saying, look, here it is, look, there it is, to the disciples of that generation um, and many generations in between, uh, he says, don't follow them. When they say, look, here it is, and look, there it is, it's going to happen so fast and so universal that as soon as someone says, here it is, it's over. (laughs) And so why are you following someone that says, here it is, here it is, here it is? Or there it is, there it is, there it is. Why follow them? So we, the expectation for the disciples of Jesus' generation should have been, 
I have some other warnings for you, but don't expect the kingdom of God in terms of its earthly reign to happen in your lifetime. Don't expect it. In fact, he tells them, you're going to get murdered. You're going to be hunted. Um, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Um, all this stuff is going to happen. And none of that is the end. None of it. None of that activity has anything to do with the end of the age. And in that list are some other things called famines and earthquakes and things like that. And his statement is, don't be alarmed. None of that has to do with the end. Fall of Jerusalem is going to happen. The end isn't happening yet. Which essentially takes the coming of Christ completely out of the lifetime of the disciples. Completely. And, and if you look through the teaching from Acts into the epistles, you will find the apostles regularly trying to communicate to the people, listen, when it happens, it's going to happen quickly. But um, if you think it's already happened, you're wrong. If you think it, it could happen today because I'm still alive, you're wrong. Um, and they were always being corrected in this area. I say all this because one of the tenets that conservative theologians have really marked off is uh, that we believe in the imminent return of Christ, which means that it could happen at any moment. And we have taken that to such a degree that we believe that it could have happened the day after Pentecost. Well, not according to my Bible. The Bible says is that don't think it's coming right away. When the disciples are there in Acts looking up, Jesus said he's coming back. He just went up there. We'll just wait here. I'm sure he's coming back any time now. They were wrong. Not just because they didn't come back, but because they weren't listening to what he had said. He didn't say, when I am ascended into heaven, I'll be right back. He told them, a lot of things are going to have to happen before I come back. And the angels come down and rebuke these guys. Why are you standing here gazing up at the sky? What's wrong with you people? Didn't you listen to anything he said? And I find that the first generation, the first uh, century Christians, had no reason to anticipate Christ's coming. At the minimum, not until after the fall of Jerusalem, and even then, not yet. And John himself, the last living apostle, says, some of you think Christ has to come before I die, and that's not what he meant. And it's not true. Stop thinking that way. And, of course, the whole Thessalonian church problem, those people in Thessalonica, you know, I didn't think any of us were going to die before Jesus comes back. That's what they had in their mind. No one should die of anything but martyrdom until Jesus comes back. And if someone died of natural causes before Jesus comes back, oh no, what's going to happen? What do we do now? No problem, Paul says. Lots of people are going to die. And they're going to be part of the resurrection when Christ comes. Be comforted. It's okay. <laughs> Relax. Maybe we need to put that in a modern version, American version. Relax. It's okay to die in the Lord before His coming. It's not going to it's not going to keep His coming from happening. Nor does it mean you missed it. And so we find this instruction: people are going to say these things, but here's what it's going to actually be like. 
It's going to be like lightning. Is it going to be lightning? No. It's going to be like lightning. What aspect of lightning are we trying to compare it to? We're trying to compare it to its expansiveness. That it goes from way over there and it flashes all the way across the sky, all the way over there. That's what it's going to be like. That's going to be kaboom, and there it is. Well, it's not a kaboom because the kaboom comes later. It's going to be... And as fast as lightning goes from here to there, the day of the Lord's over. The kingdom's come. Boom. The day of the Son of Man has happened. Just like that. There's not going to be time to run down and pack. And that's the whole force of really the balance of this teaching is that to get our thinking wrapped around what the kingdom, when the Son of Man comes, the day of the Son of Man, um, if you want to, uh, this is a little bit different than the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord encompasses the whole judgment period as well. But the day of the Son of Man, the day of Christ, the day of His coming is going to be this instant event. And He says, what's it going to there's, there's going to be a, an, a, an environment that he's going to come to, but one of the things we should note is the suddenness of it all. As soon as someone says, this is the kingdom of heaven, it's too late. So if you have time to go pack, guess what? You're dealing with someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. Because it'll be that fast when it comes. And so in terms of the idea that we'll have time to prepare for this, is really very foreign. What Christ is saying is you should always be prepared for it. And that's the principle of the imminent return. It's not about setting a clock. It's about setting a heart condition. Imminent return is about being watchful with my life. That I'm going to live every hour of my life as the Lord might come now. Because I don't have time to even pray a simple prayer before it's over. The idea that somehow, as soon as it all starts, I'll get down my knees and say, Oh, Lord, please forgive me. And then I'll... Not time. You try praying in the time it takes for lightning to go from there to there. Not time. The time to prepare yourself for the day of Jesus Christ is now. Right now. There is not time in the midst of the event for you to do anything that's going to save you to say anything that's going to bring salvation to your life. There's nothing in that. There's no space of time. In Thessalonians, the the description is in the twinkling of an eye. It's that whole idea as the speed of light. That's how fast it's going to happen. Just like, boom, and there it is. What can you do? Well, if you're not prepared, you're doomed. If you are prepared, you're gone. So the question about the kingdom of heaven is still one about your heart. That today, am I right? Am I walking right? Am I expectant? Am I living as though uh, I would want Christ to catch me right now? To catch me right now? Do I want Christ to catch me doing this right now? And it changes that whole attitude, the whole perspective on life and how we live it and to what ends we live it. That suddenness. 
but, verse 25, starts off that three-letter word. Now, there's a great suddenness. So, we know two things so far. First of all, we know that it is not really imminent to the disciples. For the apostles in their age, they knew it wasn't at any moment. Not really. Certainly not until Jerusalem fell, which would be 70 A.D. Um, so we got at least 40 years. All right? So it's not really imminent, but when it comes, it will be sudden. What's in between those? And that's what Christ shares with us, is that there are some crucial things in there and we're going to expand on this in chapter 21. What's in between this? It's not going to be something you're going to see in your day, but when it comes, it's going to be like lightning. What's in between? First thing, verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. The first thing on the future horizon to come to is not the kingdom, but the sacrifice of the king. The Lamb. John makes this connection in Revelation uh, chapter 5 when um, they're looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah. They're looking for a king. They're looking for the king of kings. They're looking for a lion. And they say, look, there he is. And what does John see? A lamb that had been slain. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, this kingdom has one very important step on the horizon, future horizon for the disciples, and that was he was going to be rejected and murdered. That's the nearest future to the disciples. The nearest future is I'm going to have to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by this generation. My death burial and resurrection is the next thing on the prophetic timetable. And then he gives us this description of what it will be like. It will be as in the days of Noah. Well, again, we have this uh, use of simile and metaphor um, here that uh, it's not... There's something about the days of Noah and the days of Lot that's going to be like the days when the fulfillment occurs. So we have, again, we're kind of working from the ends in. Okay? So over here is the disciples. It's way off. Not in your lifetime. Okay? So we have that bookend. At the way other other end, when it happens, it's going to be fast. Boom! There it is. Now, from your end, I'm going to get a workout today. From your end over here, the next thing is my death, burial, and resurrection. Son of man has to be rejected of men. Now, let me tell you, next thing in from this sudden happening, it's going to be like the days of Noah, the days of Lot. This is what's going to be right before this sudden event. And this is what, what Jesus is doing here to us um, Seems kind of weird, but in, in Hebrew uh, mind and the way that they uh, do poetry, and right, this is a very common tool to use. And he's just kind of working from the ends in. And uh, 
And, and we need to just grasp that, that Jesus was a Jewish person. Did you know that? Just in case. I remember Time Magazine came out with their front cover, Jesus was Jewish. That was in 1991 or two. And it was a big revelation. It was amazing. Time Magazine figured it out. It only took them, two, like, nine, what, 1970 years or something uh, to figure that out. But um, so he's doing a very, it's a chiastic model here. You have A and a B and A prime and B prime. And so he's saying, here's what's going to light right for the end. For you, the nearest horizon, the nearest thing for you is the rejection of the Son of Man. The closest thing to this suddenness, to this lightning event, is that it's going to be as it was in the days of Noah. How do I know he's talking about that? Because it was also in the days of the Son of Man. So in those days, in that day of the, of the coming of Christ, of the coming of, of, of Jesus, um, it's going to be like this. It wasn't like that in the days of the apostles. Okay? It wasn't, they, people responded to the message. There was a general uh, reception, and, and you find thousands upon thousands getting saved um, in, in huge people movements. And we find them just uh, covering the world, really. And, and, and we see uh, these times of revival and these times of, of, of expansion of the kingdom of heaven off and on throughout history. And maybe we're, we're nearing one of those. If we're not, we're, we're at the end. Um, it's got to be one way or the other real soon. Um, but we find that, that uh, the time right before the end and into the end of the Son of Man, what will it be like? Men's hearts will be cold. Cold. They will not listen. Though an angel from heaven proclaims it from the sky, they won't listen. And that's exactly what God does. And so we find days like Noah's days. What were those like? There were days where there was um, one, a handful of people who were serving the Lord and preaching faithfully and nobody listened. Nobody. Zero not for a year, not according to the five-year church growth plan, but for a century, no one listened to Noah. For a hundred years, he preached, and no one listened. That's what it'll be like. And they just said, it's always been this way. Rain, never heard of it. You're a crazy man. And then it was. They were going to deny it and deny it and deny it. It's easier to deny it because no one had ever seen it. No one had heard, ever heard tell of it. Any of you ever seen Jesus Christ coming in the clouds? Don't raise, please don't raise your hand. I remember. Get the white coats. Um, no. We're describing something that no man has ever seen. We're saying it could happen. And the Wonder World is a bunch of Looney Tunes. That's what they said on Noah, too. Something's going to happen that no one's ever seen before. 
The whole world is going to be flooded. There's going to be something called rain, a wall of water from the sky. The deep is going to break open. You've got to repent, people. No one listened. Zero. Had anyone ever seen fire and brimstone rain down from the sky? We're not talking about a volcanic eruption. We're talking about brimstone, not lava. Big, 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 big difference. No one ever heard of such a thing. People saw them interested in hearing that? No. None of them. Not even Lot's wife was interested in hearing about it. Well, she followed him so far, but it, you know how far can you really follow a crazy man like Lot? So we've given these descriptions that there they are, just going about normal life as if life will continue indefinitely just like that. They drank, they bought, they sold, they planned, they built, they married, they were given in marriage, everything was normal, 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 and then boom, it's over. They're not listening. They're just behaving as though it's not coming. And for the Christian, this is the fundamental difference in our life. We need to be living like we really believe that it's going to come. That's what it means to believe in the imminent return of Christ at any moment. I'm going to live my life as if Christ is going to come at any moment. There's almost a certain kind of reckless abandonment to this from the world's view um, that's out there. But fundamentally, I, I look at it and I say, this world isn't everything. And and uh, I'm not going to get caught up in its activities uh, irrespective of my ministry responsibilities before God. It's sharing the gospel with people is the most important thing there is. And that's going to be a force of my life. And if it costs me my job, it costs me my job. If it, if it, if it means that I, I drive a clunker around, then I'm going to drive a clunker around. If it means uh, I'm not going to get a promotion, I'm not going to get a promotion. If it means that you're not going to be my friend, then you're not going to be my friend. I'm going to live my life because I believe Jesus is coming back and I will have to answer to him. And I believe that when it comes, it's going to come so fast, there's no other way for me to be ready but to be always ready. There's no way to get ready for it other than being always ready for it. Because there's not going to be time to change anything in your life when it starts. Between when it starts and when it's over, no time. So if you're not ready when it starts, you're going to be caught off guard. And that's what happened to people in those days. They were caught off guard. They could have all built their own boats. You ever think about that? You know, just in case, I think I'm going to just build a replica. Nobody did that. You know, just, just a few people in Sodom, like, you know, just to be on the safe side, I think I might uh, take a little hike with Lot. I mean, it's only a, all I do is walk away for a day. A day trip! To save your life, that's all it would have taken, a day trip. To believe a couple of angels have showed up and Lot's packed up his stuff. He's kind of an important person. I mean, he's, he's, led, he's been sitting at the gate. He's not an idiot. If he's packing up and leaving, I maybe not nobody. Nobody did it. Just walk out of the city for a day. Don't look back. That's all said and done. No one did it. Nobody. No one built another boat. And nobody walked out of the city. 
That's all they had. To, uh, I mean, just if you look at it, just say, well, just in case. There's nobody out there worried about just in case. You can have that discussion with people even today. You know, just in case Christians are right, don't you think you ought to at least think about it? Deal with some of these issues? Conceive of what happens if we're right? And I tell people, when you deal with other religions, I, I use that all the time. Someone's in another religion, I say, okay, let's say you're right. Let's, let me just put myself out there and say you're right. What happens to me if you're right? Well, when you die, you cease to exist. I said, what happens to you if you're right? Well, if I die, I cease to exist too. I said, okay, so I don't want to be a Jehovah's Witness because what's the big deal? If you die, you cease to exist. Unless you're part of the 144,000 John class, which is already closed, which is already done. So the only hope a Jehovah's Witness has is if he's still alive when Jesus comes. So he can enter into and live eternally on this planet in paradise. Only hope. Okay? So I go to Mormon. What happens to me if you're right? Well, you go to this place that maybe isn't as nice as the place I go to, and you get another chance to maybe uh, work a little harder and get yourself out of that place and into a place. You're not on the God track. You don't get to ever become a God because you didn't do your thing here on earth, but at least you can go and you can have this pleasant place if you, you know, take care. Okay, well, I guess I could live with that. Can you live with that with all eternity? I mean, you're not a God, but you get to live with Jesus as your God forever and ever. Um, and if you don't work very hard, you don't get promotions. I could probably live with that. That's if I'm not a Mormon. I think I could live with not being a Mormon, according to their theology. Okay? So you work your way through a lot of these cults and a lot of the false teaching, and you look at it, and it's like, well, you know, but then you come to Christianity, real Christianity, Bible Christianity, what if we're right? What if I'm right and you're wrong? And you, you just wonder why no one thought to walk up to Noah and thought, you know, just in case you're right, I think I'd better build a boat too. Why nobody thought, well, maybe if Lot's right, I should just take a day trip out of here. And why people today don't think in their minds a little bit, you know, if the claims of Christians are right, it'd be worth pursuing it to deliver my eternity from judgment, from eternal pain. And by the way, um, I mentioned Mrs. White. Um, that's also what the Seventh-day Adventists teach, is that there is no hell. You come across anybody where there is no eternal judgment, I'm Okay. Not being one of them. But if you're not a Christian, i got to tell you, you're not okay if we're right. And we are. And so, the days of Noah and the days of Lot, if they would just have thought to themselves, you know what, maybe these guys are right, but they never even thought that way. They never even considered that. They just kept on eating, drinking, planting, building, uh, having kids, getting married, getting married, having kids. They, they, well, probably the other way around, more likely too. Um, and doing all those things, 
And then suddenly it was over. And he says, listen, there will be no time to prepare. It's going to happen. You're going to be on your housetop. You're not even going to be able to get down from that floor to where your stuff is. So don't even think about it. It's over. You're going to be in the field. You're not going to go get washed up and get cleaned up. You're going to be gone. Somebody's going to be left. You're going to be um, in bed. You're not. The alarm's not going to go off and let you get up and jump on your knees and start praying so that you can be praying when Jesus comes. Uh, that's the important thing, right? Um, nope, it's going to be over. You're going to be gone. Bed's going to be half empty. Uh, you're going to be doing these normal things of life, and it's going to be over. Now what? Now what? And that's kind of the force of the disciples' question is, now what? Where do they all go? And Jesus has a very enigmatical statement, uh, a little puzzling. Um, he uses it in Matthew as well. Uh, and the statement is, uh, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The word eagles there is really referring, uh, most people believe, to the vultures um, in the Middle East there. Uh, either one. The idea here is that... The question of where do they go to, and Jesus Christ says, the problem is, where's the body? And if this one's gone, who's still got a body? It's the ones who are still in a body you need to be worrying about. In Matthew, he uses this in context of, of the judgment and the idea that if you find yourself still in the flesh at this point, there's a judgment. Let's look at that um, using this exact same phrase in Matthew 24. And I think you'll see it, its attachment to the idea of judgment more uh, clearly there. Matthew 24:28. Again, um, this is very similar. As lightning comes, verse 27 says, as lightning comes from the east and flies to the west, so will also, so also be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And then he talks about immediately an event is going to happen. And that event is um, this cataclysmic event that's described as the sixth seal. Uh, and, this, and we find the church in heaven. So where are the bodies? And invariably in Scripture, the birds are gathered to eat corpses. If you aren't ready for this event, there will be no time when the event happens to get ready and you're as good as dead. If your body is still on this earth, once the day of the Son of Man has come, you're a dead man walking. And the Bible uses this symbolage of calling the birds of the air to feast on the flesh of men. And that's the imagery that Jesus Christ here portrays for them. And it's not that these people are being taken to judgment. Rather, these are going to be taken from judgment, just like the days of Lot, just like the days of Noah. It's going to come unexpectedly because it's abnormal. You've never seen it before. And because of that, most people will be totally unprepared. Because why prepare for something that's never been seen before? Why prepare for anything like that? And my logic challenge to you is why not prepare just in case? It's true. When we have evidence, 
that the other things happened. We have evidence of a universal flood all around us. We deny it, but we have it. We have evidence of a fire and brimstone that did fall from heaven around this region of Sodom and Gomorrah. We have that evidence. We just deny it. These are two of the historical events on our planet that never happened before that people were warned of and didn't take elementary precautions. The elementary precaution of this was already given to us by Christ, and that is that the kingdom of God must be in you. It is the only precaution that works. Instead, we reject the Son of Man. We're going to see a description of this idea in the parable to come. Essentially, we have now to prepare for an event the world has never seen. Does that require some faith? Yes, but it's a reasonable one based upon the track record we have. It's a reasonable one. To trust in Jesus Christ today because today is a day of salvation. After people start disappearing, you can't do it while they're disappearing. Not enough time. After they disappear, you're a dead man walking. There's no hope. You're just bird food. Today is the day of salvation. Today is our time to deliver this message. Even if no one listens, it's still our message. And will we measure by our faithfulness of declaring it, just as Lot was declared righteous and Noah was declared righteous by God for declaring that message when no one listened around them? We should be expecting no one to listen almost, but we still have to keep saying it. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You must believe in Jesus Christ. You must have the kingdom of God within you for he will come and the end will happen. And you can't prepare during and you can't be saved after.